COVID-19, oh, we need a vaccine at this moment. It means everything. Please wear your mask and stay six feet back. Total shutdown. COVID-19. From the last row of Lolly the Trolley, it's two middle-aged men in Cleveland, featuring author Will Blaine. And now, here to give you a wash and a fill-up, Ken Dworsnick and Ted Clark. Ted Klopp and Ken Dworsnick, episode 33 of Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland. Ted... I'm still trying to sit there, collect my thoughts from an unbelievable Browns game that I saw earlier this week. I, I must say I've experienced a lot of games, and so have you. I can't remember the last time where from the opening kickoff till the end of the game, my eyes were glued on the TV and sitting there at times in disbelief, being frustrated, <laughs> and just saying, what? is going on here but frankly that's one of the best games i've seen in a very long time absolutely that was that was a very entertaining game and you know i know it's sports and it's competitive but at the end of the day the product is there for entertainment and if you weren't entertained by that game i don't know what to tell you you probably should watch something else I guess I've gotten older. When I was younger, I would be so nervous before games, and I'd sit there and have all my Cleveland Brown stuff on. Now that I'm a middle-aged man, I kind of watched, and yeah, I was upset at certain point times, but gosh, it's like, okay, well, this game maybe isn't good for sometimes when I'm watching some sort of game. I'll just watch a movie, mm-hmm. or I'll watch something else. I mean, once again, I do feel like it's entertainment, and if I don't enjoy it, my life's not affected if they win or lose. I hate to say it. I mean, yep. I hate to put it like that, but that's kind of where I'm at. But boy, I'm very excited for certainly the team. Very excited for many of the fans. It's you know been a long time since we've had memorable football in the month of December. So I'm I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks and uh, see if what happens when they get to the playoffs. That's kind of where I'm at. Well, my oldest son was very interested in watching the game, and we watched the first quarter, and then I said, okay, I'll record it. We got to you got to go to bed. So he went up, and my wife is not a football fan. So, you know, I kind of kept track of what was going on on the phone, and we watched other television. And at some point in there, I fell asleep. And I woke up, and was, I don't know, the game, the game was over, and she had put ESPN back on, and they were doing highlights. And I kind of sat up, and I was like, oh, good, I, you know. This will be kind of the condensed version. I can watch and see the highlights and, you know, experience the game in two or three minutes. She saw that I was awake and she said, oh, yeah, they lost. (laughs) I said, thanks a lot. Got right to it. Yeah. Don't embellish. Go right to it. Hey, the the Cleveland baseball team is going to have a new name. I don't know. I like the name Indians, but, you know, I understand that there are important reasons why they – need to change the name. So I don't know. I still kind of like the idea of maybe calling them the spiders. I think there's a lot of interesting things they could do with that name. I know they weren't very successful when they had that name previously, but goodness, the, there were a lot of years when the Indians weren't very successful and we kept that name. So (laughs) (laughs) 
know. If they changed names because of how the team performed, we'd have a lot of different names for a lot That's of right. Teams, That's right. That's right. A lot of understanding of why they want to change the name. I think that needs to go across the board for all these different teams and all these different leagues. When you have teams like the Braves, that's just one example, things yep. like that. I, I do think that maybe needs to be looked at. Just uh, Once again, I, I think people from Cleveland, obviously we have a scoring thought process at times just because we feel like you know we've been screwed over in games and all that. And I think some people feel the same with this. But, boy, the Dolans are going to make a lot of money on this situation, are they not? Absolutely. It's a double whammy. They're going to get all the people that want to collect as much Indians merchandise – as they can, and then we got to get the new merchandise. Yep, it and, really is. Marketing-wise, it's a smart idea. I'll well, and if you're going to change the team name and you just went through COVID where you had no fans in the team in the stadium, what better time to do it to generate revenue than right after you lost all that revenue? Yeah, that's correct. They've lost a lot of money. A lot of teams lost a lot of money this past year, and I mean, I hate to say it, as we move forward, I think things are going to change because of the vaccine now being involved. But I still think there's going to be people not necessarily jumping up and down and wanting to go right away to, a, to an Indians game. So we'll see. And that's uh, there's some sports talk. We're going to have a little more sports talk later in the show. Where Were You returns with a, some memories about the last time the Browns won a championship back in 1964. We're going to talk about that. Author Will Blaine is going to join us to talk about his book series. It's called Wildly Inappropriate Stories for Children. Right up our alley, right, Ken? Absolutely. Cleveland's first commercial TV station began broadcasting 73 years ago this week. We'll tell you all about it in This Week in Cleveland History. And one company is saying goodbye to 2020 with singing porta-potties. There we go. We're going to explain in Klopp's Clips. Oh no, not a dad joke. I used to hate facial hair, but then it grew on me. That joke was horrible. Have you heard about Anchor? I'm not talking about the one... For a boat. This is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Blah, blah, blah. 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 Our guest today was born and raised in rural West Virginia and now makes his home in the Columbus, Ohio area. He is an author, 
and a student of the Russian language. Let's talk with Will Blaine. Will, thanks for your time. And I guess my first question, tell us how you got into or became a writer. I've really written all of my life. I just haven't published anything until January. It was the first when I published my first book. I wrote when I was a child. I wrote through my teen years and off and on, but I never really thought about publishing it until I've, I started writing this short story series, Wildly Inappropriate Stories for Children. And people kept asking me, hey, could you email me that story? Hey, could you tell this story to me? Or could you tell it to my kids or something like that? And one day somebody suggested, hey, you ought to put that on Amazon, you know, make a book out of it. And people, people will love that. So I was like, eh, well, whatever. I never really thought about publishing my stories. So eventually I thought, yeah, okay, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll give it a shot. So I went through the trouble and published the book and it's been doing pretty good. Well, that's outstanding. Talk about some of the basic stories you have in that book. Come up with some of the ideas. Was this all your stuff from you or did you get some stuff from other people? How did that whole thing work? Uh, the Wildly Inappropriate Stories from Children is a book series. So uh, it has several titles in it. The first book is uh, Vlad and the Vast Beach. And all these stories are about kids doing things that their parents would probably rather than not do. So, <laughs> um, and and it's, it's very relatable and it's very nostalgic. I, I think everybody, old or young, has done something when they were kids that their parents didn't want them to do. And, and we all do it. So the just first, one thing. Oh, it's it's this is that's why it's a series. That's why. Okay. <laughs> so so the books aren't uh, wildly inappropriate. I mean, there's not not bad language or anything like that in them. But it's just you know inappropriate because I think children have more than their fair share of ideas on getting themselves in trouble with their parents. And they don't need ideas from me. So uh, <laughs> uh, that's that's why that's the inappropriate part. But yeah, Vlad in the Vast Beach is about a little boy. His mom takes him to the beach, and he wanders away from his mom and has a little adventure on his own. So yeah, that's like my worst fear as a parent. Somebody's going to snatch my daughter up. We go to the grocery store or everything. I always make sure that she holds my hand and all that kind of thing. And we, we did this till she was probably like 11, 12 years old. And she's kind of big for her age. And she's like, daddy, do I have to still hold your hand? And I was like, yes, you absolutely have to hold your, my hand. Somebody's going to snatch you up. And she's like, dad, I'm 5'8". <laughs> and, so I, I said, okay, so you don't have to hold my hand, but just make sure that, that you can see me. If you can see me, I can see you and then we'll be okay. But, you know, that's the fear all parents have. That's everybody is scared that somebody's going to wander off with their kid or something like that. You know, it's, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. And as children, I think that everybody has had an incident in which they've just wandered off from their parents and mm -hmm. just having a good little time and their parents don't see it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that was, that's the first story. And, and the setting is, is kind of based on Brighton Beach in New York City. I'm studying the Russian language and, and speaking Russian, reading Russian, writing Russian, all that kind of thing. I go to New York probably three times a year or something like that. And, and the Brighton Beach area is, is kind of like Chinatown for Russian people. Okay. So it's like all the signs are in Russian, all the people are Russian, the restaurants are Russian, the stores are Russian, everything's Russian. We go down there and we, you know, like in the evenings, we go to a restaurant along Brighton Beach and on the north side of Brighton Beach, there's, there's, there's a boardwalk and the boardwalk uh, goes to Coney Island. Coney Island's really popular. Everybody knows Coney Island in New York. So in the, in the evenings, we'd take a walk along the boardwalk. And I, I always saw these little, all the families, the moms and the kids and things like that, they'd be going out to the beach. And sometimes, sometimes they'd be out there early in the morning and things like that to be taking, taking their kids out to the beach. And I just thought the story would be great if the little boy decides to wander off and have a little adventure on his own. That was the premise for Vlad and the Vast Beach. And the second story is Sticky Fingers from Jam. 
this is based on an experience that I had in the 70s growing up in West Virginia. I was raised on a farm, a little over 100 acres, and my chores involved me getting up at six o'clock in the morning and going and feeding the animals in the barn that was you know, some distance from the house. So it involved me walking past my uncle's house. So it's like six o'clock in the morning, you know, mid-June day or something like that. And my cousin emerges from a cornfield completely naked and covered from head to toe in butter and sugar. <laughs> so he proceeds to tell me, you know, now, okay, I'm like maybe eight, nine at the time. So it sounds I, like I, the opening line of a joke. Well, yes. it does. It does. But he tells me, he tells me with great pride that he made himself breakfast, very happy with himself. And I, being eight, nine, 10 year old kid, didn't think anything of it. I thought, well, my cousin just emerged from a cornfield completely naked and covered in sugar. That's normal, right? So I didn't think about this for years. This has been many, many years. And, you know, I'm, I'm as an adult, looking back on that and saying, hey, what did his house look like? His kitchen must have been a disaster. His parents probably killed him. You know, can you imagine your kid covered in sugar? What, what else did they get all over the kitchen? And, and his bedroom and the living room and every place else. They must have had ants for years with all the sugar that was distributed. So <laughs> that was the premise for, for Sticky Fingers from Jam. We uh, have all decided to make ourselves breakfast at some point, And our culinary choices are probably not what our parents would have chosen for us. So in this case, he decides to eat blueberry jam and puts his grubby little hands here, there, and everywhere. Nice. Well, Will, uh, I, I, I have a story I'll pass along to you. My oldest son, when he was, I don't know, three or four, woke up before we were awake, and we found him in the bathroom where he had decided to color. Didn't color the bathroom, but he used permanent markers and colored him, himself. <laughs> so we have a picture of that, and I wish I had a picture of the white look on my wife's face when that happened. But right, anyhow, right. I'm curious studying Russian and obviously the first story in the book series, Vlad, is a Russian name. Tell me about why that is prevalent in your life and in your stories. Before Perestroika, in Russian that means openness. That, that's like when the wall fell and, and the Soviet Union broke up and things like that. People lived in an atheistic society and it's hard for people to understand what that means. So I have lots of Russian friends, Ukrainian friends, different things like that, that were under the Soviet Union and, and grew up in that era. And I didn't understand what that was like until I talked about some of them and their experiences. And one of my friends was talking about uh, them having an assembly. So the schools that they had were like sometimes hundreds, thousands of kids, and they would have assemblies, which they would get together and they'd chant, yet Bulga, yet Bulga, yet Bulga. That means there is no God, there is no God, there is no God. I thought that was a really weird thing to grow up where the, the official stance of the government and things like that, that, there was no God. So most people, even if they're maybe not churchy people, they, they believe in God. I mean, it seems like a pretty common concept anyway, a God of some sort. So I decided to teach individuals that were interested about the Bible that were in the Russian language, because a lot of people have emigrated to the United States after the Soviet Union broke up. It's, it's a very large language group. Aside from Spanish, it's, I think it's the second to Spanish as far as foreign languages is concerned in the United States. I mean, there's huge swaths of the United States that are exclusively Russian-speaking. You know, Brighton Beach being an example of that. You know, that entire area, it's hard to find a person that, that's going to speak English. So, you know, in the Midwest, they don't really think about that. But there's, even, even in the Columbus area, there's thousands of people that, that speak Russian. You know, it's individuals that are interested in that. I volunteer my time and teach individuals that are interested. That's 
Very interesting. Obviously, thanks for your service to do that, because obviously all that work you're putting into is, is helping others, and that's a wonderful thing. As an author, Will, obviously you've written some great stuff. What's next in the future for you? Is there some kind of project you're working on right now or something you'd like to work on in the future? I'm working on a book right now. Another one is called The Glorious Gizzard of Roz. It's kind of a psychological thriller mystery for kids. So I have a, a group of people that, that reads my books and gives me feedback and things like that. And you don't figure out what the book is all about until the very last word. And it's great. It's a good, it's a good book. I'm working with my illustrator and some design people for it this time. My previous books, I didn't design them as picture books with the intent that I don't want kids reading these things and, and coming up with ideas. Hey, I'm going to wander away from my parents today. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, gonna, you know I, I just, I had that thought process, but I've got a lot of feedback and it's like, Hey, I want more, we want more illustrations. We want more, more pictures in, in your book. So uh, this time I'm going to, I'm going to make this one a little more artsy. We have a lot more pictures and stuff in it. That's what I'm working on currently. I've written for this series, probably about 10 books already. This is kind of like a part-time thing for me. I, have, I already have a full-time job. I'm a, a process engineer for a, a large factory. So, you know, as I get time, I'm going to be publishing these books in the future. You know, you say that kids don't wake up thinking they're going to do these things, but I bet you if you talk to parents who are in the middle of a situation like that, they would probably argue that point. I, I, they, they, <laughs> it seems like sometimes that they could not have planned it better. I've, right. I've yeah, exactly. more than my fair share of messes. Yes, that is exactly true. And that's, and they, that's why I thought they don't need more ideas. They've got plenty. Right, right. Well, Will, thank you for your uh, time. Before we let you go, can we get you to play a little uh, game here in the game time segment? Well, let's give it a shot. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. All right, Ken, another collection of Klops Clips has been assembled, and it begins with this story. Just two weeks to go till we get rid of 2020, and many people are finding unique ways to celebrate and welcome 2021. The company Service Sanitation of Gary, Indiana, has set up its Jingle Johns. Oh, boy. These are porta-potties with animated faces that lip-sync to songs. This year, the company created a 32-toilet rendition of... Hallelujah. <laughs> 30 what? what? Toilet rendition of Hallelujah. Now, as if that's not enough, and if you can't make it to Gary, Indiana, they also have a four-potty set that tours parts of Indiana and Illinois with a 20-minute show. The group features Porta Paul, Carl Can, Buddy Blue, and Linda Lou. You can even request an appearance from the Jingle Johns on the company website. The Jingle Johns. The Jingle Johns. Yeah, yeah I guess you got to do what you have to do to make money. I mean, it sounds like this is a 20-minute show. Holy uh, Well, I don't know for sure, but I've heard that those who go to the show, they're flush with anticipation. <laughs> Lock it and flush it. Yep. Hey, avocado toast has apparently become a popular breakfast dish. And now there's an invention, a new one, that claims to make the fastest avocado toast ever. The TikTok page, Unnecessary Inventions, posted a video that calls the item Avocado on a Stick. 
The invention appears to be an empty deodorant container that has been filled with mashed avocado. In the video, the inventor says, quote, you can twist this little knob to reveal a little more avocado. Then you just grab a piece of toast and spread on your avocado. <laughs> oh, boy. God, I love people. Probably smells good, too. How do you come up with this stuff? This is unbelievable. <laughs> is this the idea of this, the avocado toast on a stick? Is this intermixed with the Jingle Johns, or <laughs> this is completely separate? Separate. But okay. it seems like they go together well. That <laughs> certainly seems like that. After the show, you receive an avocado on a stick. Yes. After watching the jingle, John. <laughs> Carl Can, Buddy Blue, thank you. <laughs> and don't forget Porta Paul. Porta Paul. And Linda oh, Little. Well, winter sports are starting up here in Ohio, and with COVID come some additional protocols. So the Ohio High School Athletic Association issued the following guidelines for high school wrestlers. Most of these seem pretty straightforward, but there's one here that I'm a little confused on. These are protocols for high school wrestlers. Conduct daily symptom assessments before each practice or contest. No congregating before or after practices or games permitted. Wear facial coverings off the mat when not actively competing or warming up. So far, so good. These seem sure. no problem. Do not share equipment, towels, facial coverings, water bottles, other drinks, or food. If equipment must be shared, proper sanitation must be performed between users. All wrestlers must sanitize their hands before and after warm-ups, at all timeouts, at period breaks, and any time they leave the playing competition or practice mat. All those on the team bench shall observe social distancing of six feet. That seems right. to make sense. Now, here's where I get a little confused. The Ohio High School Athletic Association's last protocol, eliminate handshakes pre and post match. Okay. You've just yeah. wrestled with the guy, but you can't, yeah. you, you, your hands are all over each other because you're wrestling, but, but we're eliminating the pre and post game handshake. And in wrestling, that's a big deal. I mean, I, I think you've been to a host of, of wrestling matches, obviously from your days of WMFD and all that. Obviously, myself with being around paddle and all that. With wrestling, you have to shake the other the opponent's head. They make you do that. You yep. have to. So to take that away is a big deal. But I, I guess I question that as well. That is odd. I'm not gonna lie. That's you know, you just wrestled a person for ten minutes, and by the way, don't shake his hand. <laughs> you could run into an issue. That is. You're not going to catch COVID while you're wrestling on the mat, but if you shake hands, right, it's over. And just so everyone knows, when you're when they're wrestling, they don't have masks on. I mean, it's right. They're not wrestling with a mask on, just like when you see all the other athletes. No one's wearing a mask. So, speaking of which, I talked to a friend of mine. As if that doesn't make any sense, how about this one in Pennsylvania? Before they shut down all youth sports uh, last week, the wrestling team was allowed to wrestle, provided they wore masks. The bowling team had to cancel its season. The bowling team had to cancel its season? The bowling team had to cancel its season. But the wrestlers went on. You got it. You want wow, to explain would, that to me? I don't, actually. I don't understand that one. <laughs> it's so easy to socially distance with bowling. I mean, I, I got nothing. Wow. That's weird. Well, well, we'll ponder that as we close up this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. Where were you 
All right, one of our favorite segments, and we've started a few weeks ago. And today, I'm honored to have a gentleman who has the same name as myself. <laughs> Ken Dworznik Sr. has joined us. He uh, experienced the 1964 Browns game versus the uh, Baltimore Colts, which uh, is the last championship the Browns had, and that game was played in Cleveland Stadium. And Mr. Dworznik, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mr. Dworznik. <laughs> oh, Mr. Klopp. You've got to get great joy in this today, let's be honest. Two Ken hey, Dworsnicks on the same. put a lot of time and effort into getting these guests, Ken. This is yes, great. We yeah, do. No doubt. Yeah. The pay is no good, doubt. though. Right. Really That's is. right. The, the appearance fee is, is second to none. That's <laughs> exactly it, right. The, uh, the 64 Browns, at that time, first of all, there was, you know, they didn't have the, the Super Bowl. And so it was just the championship game, NFL championship. It was weird because prior to that year, if you were the home team, you, you probably got blocked out as far as TV was concerned. And then in the regular season, they would block you out uh, if, you had, uh, if you didn't have standing room only. And, you know, for the Browns, that was 85,000 people. <laughs> so there were, there were some, some games even that season that, um, you know, people didn't sh show up or whatever the case was, didn't have it on TV. But um, – it was trying to remember what the spot of the game was, but it had to be over 10 points. Yeah. I mean, Baltimore was the team, and the Browns just tore them up, you know, 27 to nothing. Some of the people that were on that team, interesting people. Obviously, Jim Brown was on the team. Uh, Ernie Green was the other running back. The funny thing is, is that the guy that was his backup uh, was Leroy Kelly. Oh. So think <laughs> about crazy. that, you know. You know, we had a couple of interesting people. Uh, Frank Ryan, who was the quarterback, he was, he was a decent quarterback. He had a great game that day. But, of course, and Jim Brown had 100 and some yards rushing. But uh, Frank Ryan played, I think, maybe a year or two after uh, the championship. And then he became a professor of mathematics. I mean, the guy was smart. Yeah. <laughs> he really yeah. was. And uh, he was interesting. Some of the other players on the team, Gene Hickerson, Dick Shafraff, Paul Warfield was a rookie that year. Ooh. You know, it was, it was an interesting team when, when, you, when you kind of think back as to who was on that team at, at the time. So one thing, one thing looking about the, at the game itself, certainly it, it must have been interesting. Obviously, Cleveland Brown Stadium, 79,000 people. It's on December 27th. The score at halftime was 0-0. Zero, zero. And then the Browns scored 27 points in the, the second half, 17 in the third quarter, 10 in the fourth. When you were watching the game, do you remember, you know, saying, wow, this is going to be a great game? Did you expect the Browns to, to come out in the second half and score 27 points? Well, first of all, the game was in 1964. I was 13 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I remember a hell of a lot of, about the game itself or, you know, interesting things with the game. The, the, the one thing, though, I remember is the fact that uh, the goalposts were set up at the, uh, at the front rather than they are now back. So there were a lot of times that guys running the uh, post route clanged right into the, uh, in, into the post. <laughs> so that was always interesting. A couple of things I remember when uh, my uncle was – he was a big fan. Okay, but he, he used to sit in his uh, in his bedroom watching games on TV. Nobody was allowed in his room. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
kind of reminds me of what your mother does to me once in a while. Um, <laughs> but he used to take me to uh, training camp. And at that time, the training camp was at Hiram College. I'm not sure about the, you know, the 64 year, but I remember as about a 11 and 12 year old, he took me out there. One of the first people we saw was Jim Brown. Mm-hmm. Jim Brown looked like a rock. <laughs> I mean, he was, and the thing at that time, they would walk around and, and, and talk with the fans and the whole bit. The, the coach at that time was Blanton Collier, which was only the second coach that the Browns had at that time, next to Paul Brown. And, uh, but he, he ran a, he ran a tight ship, but at the same time, uh, he understood the fact that fans were there and wanted to also be part of it. So uh, that, was, that was always good. I still remember that. One, I, one interesting he, tidbit about going back to the 64 championship game, which kind of ties into some Cleveland stuff. So you look at the announcers who are from CBS. Okay? First of all, you had Frank Gifford, who I yeah. believe just finished playing for the Giants in, in 64. He had a gentleman by the name of Chuck Thompson, and then a name that a lot of people will probably recognize, at least the last name, Ken Coleman. Ken Coleman. Was the yeah. other announcer, who obviously is Casey Coleman's dad, who did uh, play-by-play for the Browns for a long time. Correct. But, uh, yeah, that's what an interesting uh, TV staff you had for that contest. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was never a, a, a big fan of some of the announcers that they had for the various games. Some were real snoozers. But you would think that a game like that, that they would have had – some other people that were a little more known, but, um, you know, it had what it had and Browns won. So who cares? <laughs> Standing Mr. Dorsnick, thanks for your time. And, uh, nice to talk about some memories from uh, the 1964 NFL championship. Where were you? And now a woman's perspective. If you want a committed man, look at a mental hospital. This has been A Woman's Perspective. Cleveland! This is for you! Another edition of one of your favorite segments, Ted. This week in Cleveland history, December 17th, 1947. I already know the answer. I'm not going to ask you anything about that. (laughs) WEWS TV Channel 5 in Cleveland began broadcasting as the first commercial television station in Ohio and the 16th in the U.S. Its first program was the annual Christmas show sponsored by the Cleveland Press. Movie actor Jimmy Stewart was the opening night star. The first WEWS program televised Stewart's appearance as Master of Ceremonies. Channel 5 produced lots of its own content, including news analysis from the legendary Dorothy Fuldheim. She was very outspoken with interview subjects and even kicked one off the set during the interview. (laughs) That's outstanding. Get out of here. You're done. Yeah. One program in particular, The Morning Exchange, which ran from 1972 to 1999, changed the face of morning television It was the first morning show to utilize a living room set and the first to establish the format of news and weather updates at the top and bottom of the hour. During its peak in the 1970s, nearly 70% of all television households in Cleveland were tuned into the program. The format was a template for ABC's Good Morning America. That is unbelievable. 
Channel 5 was the first Cleveland TV station to use a news helicopter introducing Chopper 5 in 1978. In 1979, during the Iran hostage crisis, sportscaster Gib Shanley burned uh, an Iranian flag live on the air during the 11 p.m. newscast, attaining national notoriety. Other notable on-air personalities who worked at Channel 5 included the following, Ted Henry, Jeff Maynard, Judd Hambrick, Tim Taylor, Wilma Smith, Fred Griffith, Don Webster, and Nev Chandler. How about that list of names? That is a who's who of Cleveland media. Unbelievable. Wow. Well, Dorothy Foldheim, I remember, she re- you know, she retired when she was 91 years old. I do remember that. Is, that. Yep. And, and the guy she kicked off the set, or at least one of the guys, I don't know if she did it more than once, was a guy named Jerry Rubin, Jerry Rubin who was in favor of free pot and elimination of alcohol and elimination of the police. That mm-hmm. might sound, sound somewhat familiar nowadays ironic that that comes up but yeah she was a legend as were so many of the people i mean that station was responsible for so many things that are now just staples of television yes it is and obviously the funny part you know they talk about the the living room set if we don't see that on a daily basis on all the different shows that we watch there's something wrong. I mean, that is basically the format for everyone. And that's amazing that the morning exchange right here in Cleveland was one of the first ones to do that. But uh, my gosh, what, uh, what a history lesson again today, Ted, to hear about WEWS, which I remember watching as a kid and all the different names that were mentioned at the end. I, that's people I grew up with, just like you. Yeah. Tim Taylor, legendary at Channel 8. Yep. Got to start at Channel 5. Yep. Judd Hambrick. Went on to Channel 3, started at Channel 5. Jeff Maynard wound up at Channel 3, started at Channel... And Don Webster hosted a Cleveland version of American Bandstand. Yes. Had guys like the Beatles coming into Cleveland to perform. Yes. Just unbelievable. All happened right there at East 30th and Euclid in downtown Cleveland. Cleveland! This is for you! Ted Klopp here for Westminster AV. You've heard me talk about their top-notch rental services, but don't take my word for it. Here are some Google reviews. The Ohio Society of Association Executives says, not only do they meet every need we have, they anticipate additional services and requests that we have had and are always prepared. The Westside Catholic Center says, the elements they added to our event enhanced every aspect of the evening. Very easy to work with, incredibly knowledgeable, and made adjustments on the fly. Whether you are planning a virtual or an in-person event, Westminster AV should be your first call for dependable, professional, audio-visual equipment rentals. Call today, 216-325-6960. Again, the number, 216-325-6960. back with our guest author will blaine and he's going to play a game with us and it's a new game and i can tell that ted is going to be a little bit nervous about this it's called what's the price what's the price okay what's the price the idea of this game is to name the price of products that i give a description for so each contestant will need to give a price of the product okay 
The winner will be whoever is closest to the price without going over, similar to the price is right. Okay. Well, so we can't say that because this is a completely different game. <laughs> yeah, right. We're going to have three products, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the product, give you a description. You're going to give me a price. And then at the end, we'll compare to see where things are at and see who the winner is. These are all top products on a very famous internet site that starts with the letter A. Okay, here's product number one. <laughs> Baby Foot Original Exfoliant Foot Peel by Baby Foot USA. Foot Peel? Foot Peel, <laughs> yes. So you'll swap the salon pedicure for this extremely effective at-home peel of your feet. Just leave the mask booties on your feet for one hour, rinse and then watch in horrified delight as layers of dead skin fall off your feet over the following week. Your feet will thank you. The package includes two booties and a solution. I have a feeling if a child got into this product, that could be the genesis for a wildly inappropriate story for children. Absolutely. Will, you're the guest, so you get to guess first on this product. I, I don't know that anybody would want that. I mean, this is for your kids? <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get it's top a top seller on the um, uh, uh, website, but still, I, I don't know. Um, it's kind of eccentric, so maybe maybe it's geared towards individuals that are maybe a little more uh, affluent. Okay. Uh, say five bucks. Five dollars. Okay. okay, Ted. I have to agree. It might be more affluent, more eccentric. The the target audience. I'm going to go with ten bucks. I'm going to say they're going to charge a little bit more. Okay, five and ten. All right. Five Let's and ten. Product number two. Hamilton Beach Breakfast Sandwich Maker. Okay? Make the okay. perfect breakfast sandwiches in just five minutes. That's faster than going to the drive-thru and cheaper, too. It's four easy steps. You add bread and pre-cooked meat or cheese to the bottom layer. Add egg to the egg plate. Top egg with second slice of bread and slide egg plate out and remove the sandwich. You can create a custom sandwich whether you're looking for low carb or protein pack. Easy cleanup, all removable parts on the breakfast maker are dishwasher safe. These items are made of plastic. Ted, what is your guess on the Hamilton Beach breakfast sandwich maker? Well, this sounds like something that, well, quite honestly, might appeal to me because I'm kind of lazy in the morning and don't like to do a lot of work. but. So it's a do-it-yourself sandwich maker that takes the work out of it. Being that it's probably, you know, geared toward making life easier, it's probably relatively inexpensive. I'll say $15. $15. 15. Okay. Will? I don't see how you need a machine to make a sandwich. But, uh, <laughs> I thought the whole idea behind a sandwich was it's a pretty easy thing, you know. It's, that's really kind of a step back. But so if you have a machine that does this, I'm guessing it's pretty small. $15 sounds about right. I'll, I'll say 20 bucks. Just say 20 bucks. Very good answer, Will, to be honest with you. That, I, I agree. This is, once again, a top product on a very famous internet website. And finally, product number three, the Ultrasonic Cool Mist Humidifier. Okay, this is made by a company called Pure Enrichment. Save yourself from winter dryness with this 1.5 liter humidifier that can moisturize the air for up to 16 hours at a time. Another bonus, it's quiet enough to keep running through the night unless you prefer using the sleep timer. Okay. So Will, what is your guess on the ultrasonic cool mist humidifier? 
Yeah, I had one. My mother had one of those when I was growing up, and mm. uh, we had a we had a wood stove. And what she would do is she'd take this big pot of water and she'd put it on top of the wood stove. Yep. So um, I assume this is probably not that. So um, I, they probably have a little machine that, that atomizes water, puts it in the air. So I, I don't know. It sounds kind of pricey. Maybe fifty dollars. Fifty dollars. Ted. We have those for our kids, but of course my wife has purchased them, so I have no earthly idea what the price would be. I couldn't tell you the last time I set foot in a store for anything other than prescriptions, but anyhow, I'm going to go with $40. $40. All right, gentlemen, let's go through these real quick. Okay, product number one was the Baby Foot Original Exfoliant Foot Peel by Baby Foot USA. Will, your guess was $5. Ted, your guess was $10. The actual price, $25. I know. I couldn't believe that either. So, Ted, you're the winner of the first one. Yeah, I don't know if I'd pay $25 for something. No, I, yeah. With some booties and some liquid. That seems like a little much for me. All right, product two, which is the Hamilton Beach Breakfast Sandwich Maker. Ted, your guess was $15. Mm -hmm. Will you guess $20? The actual price? $29.99. So, Will, you win product number two guess. Okay? This is exciting. Now it's one-to-one. We go down to the final Coming down to the wire here. Everybody's on pivot. ultrasonic cool humidifier. Will, you guessed $50, which I thought was a good guess. Ted, you guessed $40. Gentlemen, I have to tell you this. We're going to be at a draw. The price of the ultrasonic cool mist humidifier Thirty-nine ninety-nine. Oh. Oh. Ted, you lost by a penny. Lost by yeah. Okay. Well, that's a so story we have a. Life. They call that in wrestling a stalemate. So uh, you guys are both winners. But I wanted to let you know what your prize was today. Oh yes, please. So you guys could share this. You get to receive a lifetime supply of dead leaves. You can pick these <laughs> up anywhere in Northeast Ohio. Choose your own colors of red, yellow, and brown, or even green. Supplies will last for a long time, so there's no hurry to pick up this prize. Congrats to both of you. I, I can see the uh, folks in the prize vault are sparing no expense with this new thing. <laughs> Will's going right, to be well, saying uh, right now, why in God's green earth did I decide to do this? This is I, that, that, that's was, this was memorable. Yep. Memorable. Uh, there we go. <laughs> Where can we find your books, and when will the next one be available? You can look for me on Amazon. You look at my author page, it's amazon.com slash author slash Will Blaine. It's W-I-L-L-B-L-A-I-N-E. You can uh, look for individual story titles, Vlad in the Vast Beach, Sticky Fingers from Jam. You can put those and they'll, they'll come up pretty easily. And my next book is The Glorious Gizzard of Roz. It will be uh, coming out soon. I, again, I, has, I still have to uh, put a lot of the, the illustrations and things like that, but it, the stories are written and, and we just uh, have to wait on the specifics for the book sure uh you can look for me on uh, facebook and instagram curious mind of will you can follow me on there and see what i'm up to i put a lot of sneak peeks on some of the designs that i'm working on some of the art that i'm working on i recently started uh, doing art myself for my first book vlad in the vast beach i've drawn a picture of vlad's mom so if you want to check that out you can look for me on instagram at curious mind of will and uh, follow me there and, and check out my stuff well, Will, we appreciate your time today. And, uh, you know, when I saw the name of this book series, Wildly Inappropriate Stories for Children, Ken and I looked at each other and we said, that's a guy we need on our show. <laughs> no so, doubt about that. 
Uh, well, thank you very much for your time. Well, we appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Hear ye, hear ye. Time to take a closer look at a weird law and its origin in Reno, Nevada. It's illegal to sit on a sidewalk. Why? Well, lawmakers say it interferes with the primary purpose of a sidewalk and threatens public safety. Winding down here, Ken, and some great stories from your dad about the 1964 Browns team. And sports has changed an awful lot. You know, he was talking about how the players would interact with the fans and things like that. And boy, now a player interacts with the fans and that's like front page news almost. <laughs> or you got to pay him just to have interaction. Yeah, right. That's, that's right, a big one. Right. Here's one last tidbit from that whole thing. And we didn't have a chance to talk to it when we had Mr. Dworznik on. But the winning team, which would be the Browns, each player got $8,000. And then the Baltimore Colts, each player got $5,000 for winning hmm. that game. Wow. Just to give you an idea, I think now if you win the Super Bowl, I think you basically get the minimum salary, which is, I think, $125,000, and that's tripled. So it's, yeah, the incentive and the money is, is much different than it was back in 1964. Just a little, just a little. Just and that's a for one game. You get 100, 125 grand for one game. Right, Big which game. I think I'm understating because I think it's more than that based on your salary, but wow, I know you get at least the minimum salary. Well, let's take a look at next week. Speaking of money... We're going to talk about the million-dollar collar next week. Wow. Million-dollar collar. Rob Kessler is the inventor of the million-dollar collar. He is an entrepreneur. He has some very interesting business ideas. He's obviously a good businessman and an inventor, and we're going to talk to him about business and about the million-dollar collar and what it is and how it works. I'm looking forward to that. Do you think Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man, has the million-dollar collar? What do you think? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. We we should ask him about that maybe and see what he – maybe he should be the spokesman. I'm the million-dollar man, and now I have the million-dollar collar. And by the way, I'm going to pay you if you dribble that basketball ten times, and I'll kick it away from you when you get to the ninth dribble. <laughs> it's like he used to do way back when. Oh, uh, that was good stuff. Yeah, I, I think Ted DiBiase should definitely be the spokesman. No doubt. See, we're marketing geniuses. That's what we have on this show. Yep, no doubt about that. All right, well, by the time we get to next week, we're going to be just a couple days before Christmas. Are you ready uh, for Christmas here as we uh, approach? I think so. I think I've done a fine job. I think most of my Christmas shopping has been uh, virtual. So uh, Mr. Uh, Imazan has been visiting <laughs> the, the house, and I think that UPS, FedEx, and the mailman I, I think they're about done with Christmas because if they have to come on our street one more time, I think they're going to start kicking packages. God bless okay. them. So how about yourself? Are you ready to roll? Uh, I'm not in charge of that kind of thing. Oh, gotcha. Fair enough. So I, I do what I'm told, and I'm told that we're in good shape. That's all you need to know. Yep. Makes it easier. Yep. Yep. You have got. one job. Just know if it's okay. That's it. All right. Well, until next week, Ken, let's close it out. Dead, we're just two middle-aged men from Cleveland. 
Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And by Westminster AV. Custom audio-visual packages for all occasions.